So uh, today we're going to be looking at Joshua uh, 24. If this is your uh, first time with us, uh, we are actually in the midst of a sermon series that we are calling Life with God for the Life of the World. And what we have been doing over, over the past few weeks is that we've been looking at uh, key virtues uh, of the Christian life and how they shape uh, shape how we live today. But over the next few weeks, from now until really Memorial Day, we're going to be looking at uh, really certain spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms that we need to uh, really nourish um, our faith, uh, that really in, help us deepen our life with God, that uh, really help us walk with Him in our everyday life. Because uh, God uh, really wants us to have a deep, intimate relationship with Him, and He also wants us to have a deep, intimate relationship um, with others in, in our world today. He wants to see us uh, working in this world for, for, for him. And so we're looking at the Old, Te- Old Testament text of Joshua 24, and because what we're looking at today is actually the uh, spiritual discipline of worship. And by looking at the Old Testament passage, by this Old Testament passage, it may be odd to you because we're not looking at, like, say, Revelation 4 or 5, we're not looking at Colossians 3 or John 4 or other passages, but we're looking at this Old Testament passage, this Old Testament passage because we, there are some key uh, principles, some key realities, and this one big idea that really needs to shape our worship gatherings. And so this is uh, Joshua 24, verses 1 through 18. You can follow along in your worship guide, or you can follow along on the uh, words projected on the screen. So let's give our careful attention uh, to the reading of God's word. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Sarah to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your land, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. And it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, 
and you dwell on them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that you and your, that your father served beyond the Jordan, beyond the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it, it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and per- preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, it's no secret, but all of us are wired differently. And perhaps uh, the reality is every single one of us have different hobbies. Some of those hobbies uh, perhaps could be cooking or baking, knitting, making wreaths or making podcasts, watching sports, working out, playing music. could be a, a lot of different things. But hobbies are often seen as distractions, that hobbies are distractions from one's work or where hobbies are an escape from the chores of home and the drudgery of work, of the work. And in some way, there's truth to some of those things because hobbies are enjoyable. But, but hobbies are enjoyable because hobbies actually deepen our love for living. That hobbies are enjoyable, but hobbies also do something else. Hobbies actually empower us to, they re-energize us so that we would actually uh, enjoy our work and go to work in the first place. And that's a picture of life. But, and life with God is similar. On, on the inside of your worship booklet, There's this quote from Barry Jones. He's a seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I want to read it because uh, this is a picture. This really gets at what life with God looks like. And this is what he says. There is a rhythm of life that pulsates through the biblical vision of what it means to be human. A, A kind of breathing in and breathing out. An inhale and an exhale. The breathing in is our participation in the divine life. The breathing out is our participation in the divine mission. The breathing in we often call spirituality, and the breathing out we often call mission. Spirituality and mission are intimately bound up with one another, like inhaling and exhaling. The embodiment of this breathing in and breathing out is the essence of what it means to live a fully human life. And Barry Jones' point is, from that paragraph, his key point is this, that all of our life, every single aspect of our lives is life with God. That God wants us to have a life with him that involves the totality of our everyday lives. And there are certain spiritual practices that we need to deepen our love for God and our love for our neighbors. Uh, these spiritual dis- disciplines cult- help us cultivate a life with God for the life of the world, and worship is one of those. 
And when the church worships together, our love for God is shaped. Our love for God is shaped. And that's key. But if you have grown up in the church, it's, it's most, most likely uh, this is a simple point that you've missed. That's at least my experience. That, we, that, worship, is, that worship shapes our love. And this is how I've missed it. Um, and this is a very recent example, just uh, since being a pastor, since being a preacher. Like I was preaching at a church uh, south of Wilmington, and I get there to preach, and there's only 14 other people there. It's like a, it's a small group, sometimes smaller than our small groups. And I'm, I'm there, and I'm very discouraged. I'm disappointed. But in that moment, I'm equating uh, the... God's presence with the size of this church. The idea is that the more people that would be there, then the God would do more stuff in that moment. And if the, the fewer people that were there, then God wasn't really going to show up. That's what I was doing in that moment. I made uh, pr- like God's presence completely dependent upon the size of the church. But something happened. As the service went on, um, a, a gentleman got up to go give his testimony. And in, as he is giving his testimony, as he is sharing how God's working in his life, I was just in that moment completely beaten up and convicted by the Holy Spirit. And as I think about all the moments I've preached in the past uh, two, two and a half years, um, the service, worship gatherings I've been a part of, this gathering of 14 people, plus me, 15 people, was actually one of the most profound and, and, and it was really beautiful, but far too often, Christians make worship about the size of the church. Often we make it about learning a new idea or feeling something. We make it into a debate of whether or not our, your, our worship gatherings are traditional or contemporary. But in all that, that we, in all that confusion, we actually muddy the simple point of worship. And here's the the simple point of worship, that worship shapes our love for God and others. And this is actually why we give ourselves to worship, because worship cultivates our life with God for the life of the world. That's what worship does. And today, as we consider this text, uh, as we consider uh, the spiritual practice of of worship, I want us to, to really think about worship by using the, the word, the verb, uh, rehearse. Because in, in this text, in, in Joshua 24, that we see that rehearsing God's story draws you into life with God. In our, in our text before us, in verses 2 to verses 13, we see Joshua recounting uh, God, God's story. He's, they, he, with the entire assembly of Israel, are rehearsing God's story together. Joshua, as Israel's leader, he is recounting 800 years of history for his people. And very specifically, he traces God's faithful love for his people from the very beginning to their very day. And whenever we see God's people gather together in Scripture, we see them rehearsing God's story together. They can be rehearsing God's story very briefly, or they can spend it in quite a bit of time. 
in doing so. But with each gathering, they continue to tell how God has been faithful to them. Because God is always rescuing. God is always redeeming his people. And in the New Testament, we see the the redemption, that God's redemptive plan completely finished in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, the focus becomes on Jesus and what he has done. Here's Revelation. Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to whom be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. See, in Jesus, redemption is finished. And so worship becomes all about him because that is the conclusion of God's rescue plan. And so when we come together to worship, we rehearse the story of God's faithful love that has culminated in Jesus Christ. That is what we do. Now, one question that I get most often about ironworks is, why does ironworks have a certain structure to your worship gatherings? And this is what I I go on to say, because it's true, our worship gatherings do have a high liturgy. There is a structure to it. There is this participation back and forth. The Lord be with you. And also with you, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. We have that participation, and that's because worship is for God's people. I'm not standing up here today as your representative before God. I am here with you as a sinner, with you meeting God. And so our worship gatherings are highly participatory because worship is for God's people, for all of us together. And but so as our, we have a, a structure to our worship gatherings, we also have a rhythm. God calls us to meet with him and we confess our sins and we are made right by Jesus Christ. And, we are made, and so we can put that into practice and we can hear from him. We can meet him at the dinner table. And so we rehearse God's story. We rehearse the gospel in our worship gatherings every single time because... If we don't embody the story of God's love, excuse me, if we don't rehearse the story of God's love, how could we ever embody it? And so we come together to rehearse God's story so that we would embody it. That, that's, that explains everything that we do. God calls us to meet with him. He is good. He is great. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He is true. And we fail to do any of those things. He is love and we fail to embody his love. And so we need to be shaped we need, to be, we need to be shaped by his love so that we can actually embody it. And so this is why we do everything, including why we sing. Like in Colossians 3, uh, this is uh, when Paul says, let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he also says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But how in the world can we have the peace of Christ? How can we have the word of Christ? Paul actually goes on and says, by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, so when we sing, we are actually internalizing God's story in such a way that it, it can be so intimately, um, that, so that God's word dwells within, within us. In, in the book of James, James says that uh, if anyone is joyful, then sing. If anyone is sorrowful, then let him pray. 
like singing is an opportunity to share our joys. But then in the Psalms and the entire Old Testament, we see all different types of uh, songs. We see songs of like lament, so where uh, Israel is like lamenting and mourning uh, certain things. Or we see moments of despair over a, a, of, and grief over the death of a loved one. We see uh, the Psalms perfectly capturate, capturing the fullness of human emotion and taking those emotions to God in song. And so literally the point of the Psalms is that, hey, if you are uh, down, then sing the blues. That's the picture from the Psalms. And singing in its rawness is like praying. It is a picture of our life with God, but also helps us internalize God's story. And so as we sing, as we confess our sins, as we hear God's word, as we do all those things, our hearts are being shaped. Our lives are being shaped. And it's these movements it's in these movements that's, that we rehearse God's story that we are actually beginning to embody God's love. And when we give ourselves to this, press, this practice of worshiping together over and over and over again, our lives will begin to be changed. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, a friend of mine, he shared this with me a, a, a few months ago. But a friend, uh, uh, my friend, uh, sadly and tragically hit a pedestrian while driving and killed a man. And uh, he, he, he's been uh, dealing with the trauma of this ever since. And, but he, he, he's also a pastor and charges, uh, he was never charged. And uh, he, he was even asked to give the sermon at the funeral. And, but from that moment, months passed. And, and one day he's in worship, he's up front like I am right now. And he sees the sister of the man that uh, he hit, the man that he hit with his car. And so during the passing of the peace, he goes up to uh, this woman, and she's also coming up to him, and he just breaks down in tears, very understandably. And he says uh, to her that, uh, he, how sorry he is. And he, he goes on to ask her, hey, can I give you a hug? And she's like, yes. And he, he, as he, he's embracing her and they're crying together, he goes on to tell her, like, hey, I, I'm really sorry. And she says, I want you to know that I'm not angry at you. And, and like, I'm not angry at you. And I want you to know that. And so like, uh, they have a few more words. And, and the, but the, he goes back to doing his pastor thing and uh, gives a sermon. And then the time for the Lord's Supper comes for it. And she comes forward and partakes of the bread and receives the wine. And I just want to point out, like, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. This is a beautiful moment of redemption. But how is it possible for such forgiveness to happen? How can uh, people embrace over such a tragedy? And it's only because both of those people have embodied God's love. It is a story that they've internalized over and over again because they have been rehearsing it in worship. But the truth is, friends, that loving God is something we fail to do. Loving our neighbors is something we fail to do. Forgiving our, our friends is something we fail to do. We fail to embody God's love. And it's not enough for us to rehearse God's story. We actually need to be renewed as we rehearse God's story. We see this in our text, verses 14 through 15. Uh, Joshua says, Now because of God's unfailing, never-ending love for you, 
Fear him and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away your gods and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes, then don't. That's what Joshua says. Joshua calls Israel to renew their commitment to God. And he calls them to, have a, to experience renewal in their heart as well. And God has brought every single one of us here this morning because he has been pursuing us. Because he, God has been pursuing us because we have forgotten. We all forget how to love well. We forget to love God. We forget to love our neighbors. And we know the biblical story in some way, but we forget. And when we forget, we forget that God is the one that we live and move and have our being. We forget that God is the source of life. We forget that he is the creator. We forget that Jesus is the one who rescues us. We forget all these things and we even forget who we really are. We are here this morning as a forgetful people. And here's the thing. God has been pursuing us because God wants all of us. God wants you to have life with him. He knows all the bad things you've done. He knows all the good things that you didn't do. And yet he still pursues us. He loves us. He loves you and he meets you and invites you to have life with him. And so worship is the spiritual practice that cultivates that life. But your life with God is never just about you and him. Life with God is actually for the life of the world. And Jesus is the one person who embodied this perfectly. We are told in John 3 that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to love the world to life by dying upon the cross. That's why Jesus was sent to this world. And then later in John 17, we are told that in this prayer from Jesus to the Father, he says, Father, as you have sent me to this world, where you have sent me to love this world by dying, I also send my disciples to this world to love this world to life by serving and dying. And so the scriptures clearly show us in these two pictures that having life with God is actually for the life of the world. And we show that when we embody his love. That's when we show that God, that life with God is for life of the world. Now there's an HBO documentary on Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's, I'm sure you know it, it's a disease on the rise. It devastates families. And people who have this, like, forget, uh, where you even forget your loved ones. And it's awful. But in this uh, documentary, we uh, basically uh, see various patients. And one patient, his uh, name is Woody. And in this uh, episode, uh, we learn quite a bit about Woody. Like, we see him walking around the nursing home. He's looking for something. He's searching for something. He doesn't know what it is, but he's looking for it. And we also learn about his family. We know that he is a husband. We learn that he is a, a father. And both his wife is still alive. His uh, daughter is still alive. And he also was a part of an a cappella singing group. And in one segment of the episode, we see his wife and uh, daughter driving him uh, to a like, reunion of sorts for this a cappella group. And they're driving. And he's like, where are you taking me? Why are we going there? And the, the, they're answering that question over and over and over again. 
And so as they get to uh, basically this reunion, uh, as they're there, the, the leader, the, the gentleman running it, invites his friend Woody up to the stage and says, hey, come uh, join the singing group. And so Woody uh, is confused, and he, but anyway, he walks up to the stage, and you can still see the confusion on his face. And uh, like his, this friend is like singing praise after praise and just recounting, recounting story after story about Woody. And... And then he says, hey, Woody, we're going to sing a few songs. Would you like to join us? And like, Woody is like really confused. Like, what songs are you going to sing? I don't know any of the songs. And so, but the group, anyways, just starts singing. And as the songs go, go on, you see Woody begin to jump in. Word. He, and he's, stum- he's stumbling as he jumps in, but word after word. Then he, as he, he gets more confident, and he, he actually is singing line after line. And then he gets so confident that he actually gives a solo. Here's a man with Alzheimer's. He didn't try to remember. He didn't like, like go searching for it. He just remembered because he rehearsed these songs over and over and over again with his best friends. He, there he is. Uh, here is Woody on a stage, and he is surrounded by his friends who love him, who care for him. And in that moment, Woody just simply remembers and so he, and he just, and he simply remembers because he rehearsed these songs. He rehearsed these things that he loved over and over again. And friends, that's a picture of our lives. We forget. We forget God's love for us all the time. And so perhaps you're here today and you uh, have come to faithfully participate in worship like every Sunday of your life. But, the re- but you are, during, during like the, the moments of your week, you forget God's love for you and like you're caught up in sin. Perhaps that's you. Or perhaps you're here today and like uh, you've heard the story of God's love for you in some way or another, but you've never received it in faith and embraced it on your own. No matter where you're at, friends, every single one of us needs to do the same thing. We need to receive the story of God's love for us in faith. We need to receive that and rehearse that in our lives because when we do that, we actually begin to embody God's love for us. And so when we worship together, we're being changed because we're not here today as orphans. We are here today as children of God, uh, as family members where we are sitting next to spiritual siblings that we have because God is at work in our hearts, because God is at work in our lives and he is giving us a new family. And we're here today to rehearse God's story in worship so that we can actually be shaped by his love and embody it today and tomorrow and weeks to come. Let's pray.